All right, how many know that we are in our second focus of our One Things series? By the way, One Things is a two-year process of, of uh, focusing on eight major areas of development in our lives. The first area was spiritual growth. The second is physical health. Then the third will be family. The fourth will be finances, then fellowship, and then service, and then vocation, and then mission. And so it's, we're spending three months on each of these focuses, and we're in the midst of our second. This is the second month of our physicality focus. Last month, we did a three-part series called The Body and the Bible. The first three Sundays of every month, we're in our series. And then the fourth Sunday of every month, we just open it up to hear what the Holy Spirit says so, so that uh, the Holy Spirit has some freedom as well. Well, he always got freedom, but you know what I'm saying. You get it. So last Sunday, if you weren't here, my wife preached a powerful message. And uh, you need to get on our podcast and get that if you didn't get it. Uh, but it was a very, it was a wonderful message uh, from the Lord. <clears throat> this month, we're going to be uh, giving you a series. And uh, the series for this month, for the month of October, is called Running to Win. Running to Win. Running to Win. You know there's a difference between running and running to win. Not everybody who's running is actually running to win. And the question is, are you running to win? You know, every year my dad used to run into the Beta Breakers. The Beta Breakers race in San Francisco is like, what is it? Is it five and a half kilometers or five and a half miles? Whatever, it's a long way. And it's up and down hills. And my dad used to go out there and run every year. And, you know, when you went out there to run in the Beta Breakers or even just to, to stand by and watch, you notice that there's a distinction between runners who are out there actually running to win and runners who are just out there running. First of all, you can tell by the way folks are dressed. You just look like, yeah, he ain't, he ain't trying to win. Some folks are just out there for some foolishness. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's about, you know, trying to get on the news. They had folks out there running naked. Folks out there running their full bodies painted green wearing all kind of costumes and stuff. When you see somebody in a five-and-a-half-mile race wearing a costume, they, they don't have any chance of winning. Yeah. I mean, they, they're not even thinking about winning. That's not even the purpose of them being out there. They're out there to engage in foolishness. But then you see people out there, you know, like wearing a tank top and some running shorts. I mean, they're actually wearing a uniform with something on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And some, run, and some state-of-the-art running shoes. And before the race, they're, you know, they're stretching. And, like, you can look on their face and you can see, this brother is serious. Of course, you know, most of them are from Kenya and from, you know. <laughs> I'm serious, though. <laughs> you know? It's like, if you ain't from Kenya, you're just out there running. <laughs> you know? But when you see the look on the faces of the people who are actually running to win, you see a difference. That is, their mentality is different. And not only is their mentality different, but their preparation was different. Now, my dad would go out there and run. I don't think he ever finished. But he ran many times. And we knew what corner to pick him up from, you know, about a mile and a half into it. So, okay, I'm done. I'm done. Oh, praise the Lord. I made it a, little, a block further than I did last year. But I ran. Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 24, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. That is, run with the mentality of a champion. Run not just to run, but run to win. Now, when we're talking about physical health and we're talking about moving forward in our physical lives, in our physicality, we can run to run or we can run to win. That is, when we're running to run, it means, yeah, we're going through this physical one things process and we're, you know, working on eating better and, and you know, I don't actually expect anything to change in my life. Because, see, I'm just not at that place yet. We can make excuses about it and say, you know, I'm, yeah, okay, we're all doing this, so I'm going to do it. If you're just running to run, this will be a 90-day thing, and it'll be over in 90 days, and you'll go on about your business, and nothing in your life will change. Might as well show up to church, you know, painted green. You say, what are you? I'm a vegetable. It's physical one things. 
you know, or you can run to win. That is, you can adopt the mindset of a champion. Look at your neighbor and say, I want you to adopt the mindset of a champion. Now, we got to understand, some of us have further to run than others. <clears throat> but, but the thing that we all have in common is no matter how far you have to run, it can feel overwhelming and impossible. I mean, I, I have a very small amount of weight to lose. Okay, no, no, no. <laughs> Let's just keep it real. I got to lose 45 pounds, okay? I got to lose 45 pounds. Now, you might look at me and say, it could be worse. could be worse, right? You know? I, I don't feel like I'm obese, but I think I'm a beast sometimes. <laughs> I'm beastly at the table. My, my father-in-law talks about table muscle. He sits down at the table. He says, look at all of this muscle. He says, I've got table muscle. Table, I got a lot of table muscle. But that, sometimes that 45 pounds that I have to lose, it feels overwhelming. It feels impossible. And you know, when you're at the starting line of the beta breakers, sometimes it feels impossible. That's why you're just engaging in foolishness, because you know you don't have a chance at actually winning the race. But the ones who win the race, the ones who are even in the running to win the race, have the mindset of a champion. And impossibility is not a part of the vocabulary of a champion. It doesn't enter into the mind of a champion. Nothing is impossible. And this is the thing. It doesn't matter to me what your physicality goals are. It's not impossible. Listen, I don't care. It's, it doesn't matter. Even if you've only got five pounds to lose, that five pounds can feel overwhelming to you. And even if you need to gain some weight, even if your problem is not weight at all, you got other sicknesses and illnesses that you got to deal with, it can feel impossible. But I want to start by saying nothing is impossible with God. And in the body of Christ, we tend to believe for God's intervention in every other realm except for in our physical bodies. And I'm here to say that I believe God to touch, strengthen, and heal us in our physical bodies. And so my challenge to you in this process is whatever your issues are, begin to believe God to overcome them. I don't care if your issues don't, don't respond to eating better. Believe God to change them. I don't care if it was your choice or not your choice. Believe God to change it. And we're going to do that by talking about adopting the mindset of a champion. And so for the next three Sundays, including today, we're going to be talking about what it means to have the mindset of a champion. And what I, what I want to deal with today, the first component of a mindset of a champion is a vision for victory. To have the mindset of a champion, you've got to have a vision for victory. The difference between the Kenyans and everybody else at the Beta Breakers is that the Kenyans have a vision of victory. That's right. Come on. That's right. All of Caroline's cousins be winning that thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, Nigerians don't win the beta breakers, only Kenyans. <laughs> they have a vision of victory. If you're just out there for foolishness, you've never even seen yourself in your mind's eye running across that finish line first. You've never even seen yourself being the one to break that rope. You, you don't even see it in your mind's eye. And this is the problem with most of us. We don't even see the finish line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what does it look like if you were to get there? Can you even imagine yourself without that health problem? Can you even imagine yourself without that eczema? Can you even imagine yourself without having to take that blood pressure medication? Can you imagine yourself whole and health? Can you see it in your mind's eye? Can you get a vision for it and actually believe it? Can you aim your mind and heart at it? Or have you just accepted that it is what it is? A vision for victory. A vision for victory. Now, as we deal with this vision for victory and as we open this up and unfold it. I want to focus on the book of Nehemiah. I'm going to look at the story of Nehemiah because all three components of this mindset of a champion, I believe, are portrayed for us here in the story of Nehemiah. It's starting in Nehemiah chapter 1. What happens here 
is that Nehemiah is serving the king of Persia. Just a little bit of history. The Babylonian Empire had come in and, and invaded Jerusalem, invaded Judah. In, in 605 B.C., the raids began. They began to carry off Israelites into captivity in Babylon. In 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar came into, Ju- into Jerusalem and destroyed the city and destroyed the temple, just raised it to the ground, drug off about 60% of their population into captivity, left the other 40%, but didn't tear down the walls, just, just destroyed the temple. So there's still a remnant there in Jerusalem. The Persian Empire came in and ousted the Babylonian Empire somewhere around six, uh, 539, I believe it was. And under the king of Persia was a Hebrew by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. And Nehemiah was an important man in Israel. He was an important man in, in the Persian Empire as well. He had a very prestigious position. He was able to come into the presence of the king every day. His whole job was just to bring his cup of wine hand it to him. That was his job, but it was an extremely prestigious position. Matter of fact, I'm hiring somebody for that position. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. In Nehemiah chapter one, a man by the name of Hanani came from Judah to visit Nehemiah. And Nehemiah began to ask him about the state of the Jews in Jerusalem. And Hanani began to tell him what was going on. He said, "It's, it's worse than we think it is. It's worse than you thought it was. Not only the temple was destroyed in 586, we know that, but now the walls have been destroyed around Jerusalem. Now, whenever the walls of a city have been torn down, it's lights out for that city. It's over. It's done. I mean, can you imagine? In those days, a city without walls could be attacked by any enemy. It had no protection. It had no safety. It had nothing, and so it was just over. In Nehemiah, the scripture says when he heard it, he said he fell on his face and he began to weep and he began to mourn. And he wept and mourned for days. Now, the first thing you need to understand about getting a vision for victory is that sometimes it starts with a few tears. Because it's okay to cry about something that went wrong in your life for a minute. I know we talk a lot about shifting. And, and you know, sometimes you just got to shift. But sometimes you just got to cry. I mean, when something falls apart in your life, sometimes you need to take a few minutes and cry about it. When you lose a loved one, you need to cry about it. Not shift immediately. When something's going on, you know, we're praying for a pastor and his wife in New Jersey right now, and their, their baby is really ill and in the NICU and in the, in the intensive care unit for infants. And, uh, and you know, sometimes they, they shed tears. Why? This is a tough thing. You're going through a tough thing, and sometimes it's okay to cry about it for a second. When Nehemiah first heard the news, he fell on his face and he wept and he cried, and it said that he mourned and cried before the Lord for many days. But we get to verse 5 of chapter 1 of the book of Nehemiah, and it says, Then I said, notice the word, then. He says, after I got done crying, after I got done mourning, if that is, he understood that there was a season for mourning and crying, and that season had a definite ending. And he says, when I sensed that the season for mourning and weeping and crying and feeling sorry for myself was over, then I said, Then I said. The problem with the contemporary church is that we almost never get to the then I said. Because some of you in this room right now are still crying about stuff that happened 20 years ago. (laughs) Crying about stuff that happened to you when you were in the sixth grade. You never get to the then I said because you're just crying for the rest of your life. Crying and mourning and weeping. Every time it comes up, you got to mourn about it a little more. And you got to cry about it a little more. I'm saying have your cry and then be done with it. Make a decision. Now it's time for me to move on. And when it says, then I said, what it means is at the moment where Nehemiah recognized that the season for mourning and weeping was over, now it's time to get a vision for victory. And everything that flows out of the then I said constitutes his vision for victory and now the way he prays becomes very intense very very intentional he's going to begin to pray here but his prayers are going to become very intentional meaning he knows what he's doing sometimes when you're in prayer and you're really desperate for something you're just a slobbering mess and it's okay to be a slobbering mess but when you pick yourself up and say now i'm getting ready to pray through this thing Listen, every believer, you got to recognize that you have the power to pray through things. When was the last time you prayed something through? When something went wrong in your life and it felt like it was falling apart, you said, we're going to pray this thing through. 
When some, one of your friends or family members called you and said, this is what's happening, and you said, we're going to pray this thing through. When you make a decision to pray it through, now your prayer is no longer a slobbering mess. Now it's no longer a, a sloppy, wet kiss. You know, Now all of a sudden you're making a decision that I'm going to intentionally move this thing forward, and I'm going to pray with purpose, and I'm going to pray with power, and this thing is going to move. So the first thing that he does is he says, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. He begins by recognizing who God is. He begins his vision for victory with a vision of who God is, not of his intended outcome. You got to get above the thing. The thing you got to recognize is that God is greater than your defeat, but he's also greater than your victory. Meaning that your vision for God, your vision of who God is, must even be bigger than your vision of your intended future. Even if I lose this 45 pounds, my vision of God has to be greater than my vision of my skinny self, even with a six-pack and, and, you know, you understand what I'm saying. <laughs> my wife might get too excited if I go on any further. <laughs> no, nah, that, that kind of vision doesn't excite her anymore because she wants to see some action. <laughs> so he says lord the god of heaven the great and awesome god i know the walls have been torn down in jerusalem but you're still the god of heaven and the great and awesome god never confuse your defeat with god's defeat and never confuse your victory with god's victory because god has never had a bad day yet He's still on the throne. He did not wake up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. Nobody put rusty nails in his granola. And he is not sitting up in the heavens scratching his head and trying to figure out, what are we going to do about this? He says, no, God, you're still the group. We're trying to figure it out. You're not. We're trying to overcome. You're not. The great and awesome God. And then he says this, who keeps his covenant of love. First of all, he recognizes how great God is. Secondly, he invokes the covenant. He says, I know you're going to fix this. Why? Because you keep your covenant of love. Before I even ask what I need you to do now, I'm reminding you that we're in covenant. You got to come to the place where you recognize that you can't move yourself forward. Only God can. But secondly, you got to come to the place where you realize that God has to. You ever came to that place? God, you got to fix this. This is your problem, God. What are you going to do about this? How are you going to fix your problem, God? You ever come to that place? You know what I'm talking about? My wife knows what I'm talking about. Why? Because for the first two years of our marriage, it was hell. And I was praying for God to change her. Now, I'm going to save you husbands many years of therapy right now. At the end of our second year of marriage, on Thanksgiving morning, we got in a big fight. And, she, and we're supposed to go to Sacramento to my cousin's house and have Thanksgiving dinner with my family. She said, you go by yourself. And I said, okay, cool. Husbands, if your wife ever says you go by yourself, don't go. She doesn't mean it. It's a test. I failed that test. I thought, I will honor your wishes. And I got in the car and I drove to Sacramento by myself. My family said, where's your wife? I said, oh, she's not feeling well. She's a little sick, a little under the weather. Like, oh, well, I hope she feels better. Shall I call her and pray for her? No, no. Just leave her alone. She'll be okay. But while I'm driving, that whole two-hour drive to Sacramento, this is the prayer I was praying. God, you got to fix this. No, you have to fix this, Lord. I mean, you got to do it. I mean, this is your, this is your problem. Because, God, you've already showed us how you want to use us. This is before living hope ever existed. I said, Lord, you've called us. And what you've showed us that you want to do in our lives, you can't do it with our marriage in this condition. So you got to fix this. You have to fix this. And God spoke to me and said, I'm getting ready to pour supernatural grace into your marriage right now. I said, yes. And I got home that night. I thought she was going to be different. 
She said, I can't believe you left me. But you told me, you told me. I said, Lord, I thought you were pouring grace into our marriage. The next day, our friends came up from Pasadena. We hung out that weekend, Sunday after church. They were getting ready to leave to go back to Pasadena. They said, Sonny, what are you doing this week? She said, I'm not doing anything. They said, you want to come to Pasadena and hang out with us? And Sonny looked at me and said, what do you think? I said, please, go right ahead. And uh, they said, yay. And they got in the car and they drove off. I said, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. But you know, you know what? You know what? When she came home a week later, you know what she said? She said, God met me down there in Pasadena. God met me. And he showed me so many things. And you know what he showed me? We have a happy life together. We need to just be happy. And the Lord completely changed her. Now, he's still trying to change me. You know, she got, she got changed in a moment. But, he, you know, I'm still, you know, I'm still ornery. You know, he's still working on me. What he did was he gave her the patience to put up with me all these years. But what I'm saying is that the shift happened. The shift happened. I'm gonna get, we're going to make T-shirts that say shift happens. You got to know what to do when the shift hits the fan. But, <clears throat> I'm stepping in deep shift here. <laughs> Sorry. Sometimes I can be full of shift. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> See, Dale, you just bring it out of me. Whatever, you just your presence just draws this foolishness out of me. The the point I'm making is that you got to come to a place. Where you say, God, this is your problem. You got to fix it. And you know what? God did a work in our marriage that neither of us could have done. That is, it was beyond our power. We couldn't figure it out. We were going to therapy and going to workshops and reading books. And, and we were doing everything we knew how to do, and we couldn't fix it. And so God stepped in and fixed it. Why did God step in and fix it? Because he had a plan for our lives. He had a plan for us, and God was not going to allow his purpose for our lives to come to nothing. And so you got to come to that place where you say, God, you, you have a purpose for my life. And so you cannot, I, I'm, I just don't believe that you're going to allow these physical issues to keep me from fulfilling your purpose for my life. I just don't believe it. I believe you are the one who keeps your covenant of love. That's what Nehemiah says. You keep your covenant of love. And then he prays this. He begins to confess his sin. After he says, Lord, you keep your covenant of love. After he says, Lord, it's your responsibility. He says, but Lord, it's our fault. Amen. He begins to confess his sins. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. Isn't it funny he doesn't say, Lord, I know that the rest of the Israelites are sinners. I know everybody else is messed up. Forgive them, Lord. No, he includes himself, all of us. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. When it comes to moving forward in our physical health, we all need to recognize that we've all messed up. Come on, I've eaten the wrong stuff. I told you before a year ago, I said, Lord, I want to be 175 pounds. And the Lord said, no, you don't. I said, yes, I do. He says, son, nobody put a gun to your head and stuff chickens down your throat. <laughs> Nobody threatened your family members if you didn't eat them cookies. You made the decision to do it. You're exactly the way you want to be. Truth. Says, we have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. And then he goes on to say, Lord, remember the promise you made to Moses. You promised Moses, number one, that if we did not obey you, you would scatter us. But number two, you promised that even from that place, even if we had been scattered to the furthest horizon, that if we repented of our sins and began to obey your commands, that you would gather us even from the further hor furthest horizon and bring us back to the place you promised. He says, God, I know we're far out there, but you promise that there's no place that's so far that you can't hear our cry. And some of us here today, we feel like with our physical health, we've been scattered to the furthest horizon. But let me tell you something. I don't care how far you've gone. I don't care how bad it is. There is no prayer that is so deep that God can't hear it. That there's no condition. I don't care what the condition is. God is still able to hear prayer. And he's still able to answer prayer. Amen. 
Then he ends the prayer with this. He says, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Say, who is this man? And all of a sudden it becomes clear what this prayer is. Nehemiah is getting ready to go into the presence of the king of Persia to bring his cup. And he's getting ready to use the opportunity of being in the presence of the king to ask for permission to go pursue this vision of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He's getting ready to risk his life. And he had a plan. What I'm going to do is go into the presence of the king with my face downcast. That could get you killed back then. Not killed, killed. You don't come into the presence of the king without a smile on your face. You come in, I mean, your brother might have just died. Would you come to the presence of the king? <laughs> you know, here's your cup, king. I mean, you've got to be excited, happy in the presence of the king. Nehemiah was getting ready to risk his life. That's how powerful that vision was in his heart. He had a vision for a better tomorrow. In his mind and heart, he had stopped crying. See, at the point where you're willing to risk your life, where you're willing to put your neck on the line to pursue that vision, now that vision is strong in you. Most of us, our vision isn't strong enough to even get us out of bed in the morning, much less risk our lives. I mean, if, if the vision's not even strong enough to get you to take a walk at your lunchtime, the vision's not even strong enough to, to get you to eat an apple, drink a bottle of water. It's real quiet in here. That's, mm. Oh, yes, Lord. I just feel that conviction. Just mm. Remove it and give peace. Let me ask you something. Do you have a vision? Do you have a vision for success? What does it look like for you to cross the finish line? You've got to have the mindset of a champion. What does it look like? A vision for success. You know, in Joshua chapter 10, there's the five kings that the Israelites were coming, were doing battle with. And the five kings in the heat of the battle, they fled and they ran and hid in this cave. And it was reported to Joshua that these five kings were hiding in the cave. He thought about it for a second. He thought about sending somebody in there to just kill them now. He said, no, no, no. Put a stone over the cave. So they put a, sto- they put a big stone. I can imagine the five kings are in there and all of a sudden they see a big rock covering the face of the cave. Oh, no. It's over. It's lights out. And when the battle was over, Joshua brought all of, of the Israelite army back and says, watch this. They took the stone from in front of the cave. They pulled out those five kings. I mean, they came out with their crowns clothed in gold. And Joshua said, throw them down on the ground. They threw them down on the ground. Then he called the Israelite commanders, five of them. Come up, you five. They came up, says, put your feet on their necks. And they put their feet on their necks. He says to the Israelites, you see this? This is what God's going to do to all of your enemies. And then he struck them dead and he killed them. Why did Joshua do that? He wanted Israel to get a vision for victory. You see this? You see this? You see these kings, these opposing powers that come against you, that try to destroy you? You've got to get a vision of these powers of opposition being under your feet. See this? High blood pressure right here. It's under your feet. See this? Diabetes right here. It's under your feet. See this? Cancer right here. It's under your feet. You see this? You see this? Whatever it is, it's under your feet. You've got to get a vision of every power of the enemy that would attack your physical body being under your feet. It's under your feet. He wanted Israel to see it because otherwise they would believe that there was a power that was too great for them. That there was a power that was too strong. He says, I need you to get a vision. Because there's many battles yet for us to fight. But before we begin to fight them, I need you to get a vision for victory. And he threw them down. Put put your feet on their necks. Listen, you got to wake up every morning with the vision of yourself putting your foot on the neck of that thing. I mean, whatever it is, you got heart problems, just put your foot on the neck of that heart problem. Instead, we tend to wake up in the morning with the vision of our physical illnesses putting their feet on our necks. You live under the foot of that physical problem. Let me tell you something. It needs to get under your feet. And it starts with your mindset. And then Joshua struck them down and killed all of them. And he said, this is what the Lord is going to do to all of your enemies. you got to get that in your mind. This is what the Lord is going to do to all of your enemies. Let me tell you something. When we're talking about the physical one thing, we're not simply talking about what we can do in our own power to change our bodies. We're talking about simply making decisions that are in agreement with God's promise. And God's promise is that 
he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are, are healed. The promise we have is James chapter 5. If any among you is sick, let him pray. Let him call for the elders of the church to anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. That is the promise. He said, the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. That is the promise that we have. The promise is whatever things you ask for when you pray, believe that you have received them and you shall have them. That is the promise, the promise, the promise. Jesus said to his disciples, I give you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. That is the promise. The promise is that he gave his disciples authority over every sickness and every disease and over demons to cast them out. That is the promise. The promise is with long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. That is the promise. When we're talking about the decision side of our physical one thing, we're simply talking about making decisions that are in agreement with God's promise. And his promise is for healing. His promise is for restoration and wholeness in our bodies. But we must agree with that promise by eating things that procure healing, that eating things that promote healing, rather than making decisions that are in opposition against his promise. Are you hearing me? And so there are physical issues in your life that will not respond to eating better. There are physical issues in your life that running on the, tre- on the treadmill is not going to change them. But what I'm saying to you is we simply make decisions that are in agreement, and we believe that if we take one step towards God, God will take five steps towards us. We believe that if I make one decision to step towards God, God will fulfill the rest of the way. It was the prodigal son who simply woke up in the, in the pig's pen and made a decision, I will return to my father. And the scripture says the father saw him while he was still a long way off and ran to him and took him in his arms. And many of us were a long way off from the place where we want to be as far as, far as physical wholeness is concerned. But the father will see us a long way off if we simply make the decision to return and he will run to us and he'll take us in his arms and he'll bring us all the way amen amen but you got to get a vision for it you got to get a vision for victory you got to get a vision for victory you got to see the promised land you got to see it every day you got to wake up in the morning seeing it and believing it And maybe there are some of us here today, and this is the thing. Some of us here today are disillusioned. And the reason we're disillusioned has nothing to do with us, what we've gone through. But maybe you prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed. I had the experience just recently, just in the last several months, where there was a woman that I was praying for. She was the wife of a pastor. She was a young woman in her mid-40s. All of a sudden, one day, she was rushed to the hospital. She was having very intense pain. They discovered that she was in the final stages of, of a very invasive form of cancer. And they said, you've got about two weeks left. Imagine it. She was healthy and strong, running around. Everything's fine. Not knowing that this cancer was progressing on the inside of her. I tell you what, I, when I found that out, I was so heartbroken. I prayed day and night for this woman. I went out to the hospital over and over and over again and prayed for her. And I believed with all my heart. You know what? She died. I was devastated when she died. You know what? I've seen that happen several times. I've also seen it happen where people got healed under my hand. Many times. You know what? I can explain one. I can't explain the other. In the natural, I'd say, well, I can explain the people who died. It just makes sense. You die. You get sick, you die. Can't explain the miracles. No. According to the kingdom, I can explain the miracles. Because I got promises for those. (laughs) I can't explain the non-miracles. I ain't got no promise for that. Mm, but I do have one verse of scripture, Deuteronomy 29, 29. Mm-hmm. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the revealed things belong to us and to our children forever. Mm-hmm. And some of us here in this room right now are disillusioned because of the secret things. And we've allowed our confusion about the secret things to dim our faith in the revealed things. What's the secret thing? I don't understand why that lady died. She should have been healed. But you know what? That's a secret thing that belongs to the Lord. 
I can't figure it out and he doesn't expect me to. But what's revealed? What's revealed is whatever I ask in the name of Jesus, he will do. That's revealed. What's revealed is that I'm to believe for healing. I'm to pray for healing. I'm to expect healing. I'm to depend upon healing. I'm to walk in healing. I'm to reach for healing. That is what has been revealed. And so I'm going to walk in the revealed things and not get tripped up by the secret things. God wants to break you free of disillusionment. He wants to break you free of disappointment. And he wants to renew your vision for victory. Now, when we're talking about a vision for victory, we're not just talking about the absence of illness because victory is not simply the absence of illness. We're talking about the presence of strength. That is, when the illness is gone from your body, what are you going to do with your illness-free body? I mean, what is your dream? I was talking to somebody recently and she said, you know, I want to I wanna be a, like a fitness model. You know, that's what I want to do. I want to be a fitness model. You know, that's great. That's a great vision of victory. Get that vision of victory. Say, I want to have a six pack. Come on, get that vision of victory. Say, I want to be a, uh, I want to be a black belt in martial arts. Get that vision of victory. I want to be strong. I want to be able to play with my daughter when she's 16 years old, you know, and I'm 48 years old. I want to be able to run and play with her, you know, with my son who's not born yet, but will be born in Jesus name. I, you know, I, I, you know, get a vision of what victory looks like. And victory is not simply the absence of obstacles. But what does victory look like? What does it look like? At the same time, don't let the world imprint you with its, with its vision of victory. Because there's so many young girls that have been marked by the world's vision of victory. And because of that, they have this negative body image. In their mind, they're never skinny enough. And that's where all these eating disorders come from. Because the world told you that you should look like this. You're not skinny enough. You're not beautiful enough. Get rid of all that. That's a lie from the devil. Yes. Understand that a vision of, we're not talking about perfection of body. No. That's not what it's about. It's about health, not perfection. Right. It's not about being the next supermodel. It's not about looking the way the world says, this is beauty. you got to start by understanding you're beautiful right now. Amen. This is not about you becoming beautiful. This is about you waking up and realizing you are beautiful. Right. You're God's daughters and sons right now, right where you are. And you don't need to change anything to be beautiful. It's about loving yourself enough to believe. Listen, when you when you actually believe you are beautiful, when you believe, you take care of yourself. It's like cars, you know. If you have a, if you you know, if you drive a 1986 jalopy or a, a, a Pinto. You know, people with old cars that are look junky on the outside, they're junky on the inside, too. I mean, you walk in and there's cans all over the floor and garbage all over. I remember those days. You remember those days? And you say, well, you know, Lord, when you, when you give me a new car, then I'll treat it right. You know, like if I had a Mercedes, I wouldn't have cans all over the floor. You treat the inside of the car like the outside of the car, right? So you say, uh, that's how a lot of people treat their bodies. You just think your body's old, broke-down Pinto. You need to wake up and realize that you're not driving a Pinto. You're driving a Mercedes-Benz. You're driving a Bentley. Your body is a Bentley. Because let me tell you something. God doesn't... I mean, if God if God flew into the airport and he asked you to pick him up, do you think he would ask you to pick him up if he knew you were driving a, a Pinto? No, God does not roll in broke-down vehicles. If you're picking God up, you better come in a Bentley or something, right? Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? You have picked God up. Come on, somebody. He is in you. He is in your physical body. He is dwelling in you, and he will not dwell in no pinto. That's because God's image of your body is not the same as your image of your body. He doesn't see you as broke down and and disgusted. That's not how he sees you. And so you got to see yourself differently and understand that your vision of victory is not about the perfection of your body. It's first and foremost about the wholeness of your mind. (laughs) Understanding that God loves you just the way you are. But for some of us, he loves us too much to leave us that way. He's got a greater vision for health and wholeness for our lives than we have. And so it's time to wake up. It's time to get encouraged. 
It's time to shake free of that encouragement, of that discouragement. And it's time to shake free of that negative body image. To embrace the fact that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that we're going to take care of this temple. It's about honoring God with our physical bodies. Because we've been bought with the price. And our lives are not our own. Let's pray. Father, I speak encouragement right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's some of us here today, we're just discouraged. God, you would have us to know that a vision of victory begins in a place of defeat. Nehemiah was able to get a vision of victory for Israel. Precisely because something terrible had just happened. Some here have said in their hearts, how can I get a vision of victory? Everything's going wrong for me. Well, congratulations. That is the prerequisite. Something has to go wrong in order for you to get a vision of victory. You can only get a vision of victory for a place where there's a battle, where there's a war. Some of you feel like you've lost that battle again and 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 again. And again. But I break all of that disillusionment and discouragement off you. You're going to win it this time. You know what? If you fall down again, you're going to get up and say, I'm going to win it this time. And if you fall down again, you're going to get up again and say, I'm going to win it this time. You know what? You're going to win it. You're going to win it because you're simply going to make a choice not to quit. Not to be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. You're not going to allow medication to become the power of God for you that you trust in. I'm not saying stop taking medication. But I'm saying to get a vision beyond it. And to reach for it. To believe. <clears throat> to believe. Right now in your hearts, just begin to say, God, take that discouragement out of me. I know some of you here today, you feel like I tried to believe and it just didn't work. I tried to believe, but it just didn't work. No, 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 no. It did work. You just stopped believing at a certain point. And I got a remedy for that right now. Start believing again right now. Start believing again right now. Keep believing. So my faith is so small. All it takes is a mustard seed. But a mustard seed is not a moment of faith. It's a tiny amount of faith applied over an extended period of time. That's mustard seed faith. As others of you here today, God is breaking off that negative body image. Maybe some of you here today, maybe, struggling with some type of eating disorder. You just don't think you're good enough. You think there's something wrong with your body. I break that lie off of your heart and mind right now in Jesus' name. Nothing wrong with your body. That's a lie. Nothing wrong with your body. You need to embrace the fact that you're beautiful. You need to embrace it. Rejoice in who you are. Stop trying to look like what you see in a magazine. Because even those girls in the magazine don't look like those girls in the magazine. They only look that way in the magazine. But that's been doctored. It's been all magazined up. That cannot be your aim, your target. That's not even what it's about. Health is about loving yourself. Not destroying your body in pursuit of perfection. It's about loving your body and doing what's right for it. But if you're pursuing perfection at the expense of your body, you're actually hating your body. And health never comes from the hatred of the body. Only from the love. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You need to be able to say that. Say that in your heart and mind right now. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God 
lives in this body. God lives in this body. And his presence in your body is completely non-judgmental. Yes, Lord. 
Do you believe it? Just begin to say, Lord, we believe. We believe. We believe. We believe. We believe. We believe. Remove that unbelief from our minds and hearts. Remove it, Lord. Give us faith right now. Give us faith right now. Yes, Lord. Gout is being healed right now. Gout. Pain in your knees. Knees and feet are being healed right now. Knees and feet are being healed right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.